no one is going to replace me mm-hmm. in talking to my clients. Like it's just not going to happen. They don't want to hear from anybody else. They want to hear from me. Hey, investor. Welcome back to another episode of the Passive Income Adventures, where we talk about all things commercial real estate and how to design the lifestyle of your dreams. So today we are talking to Dan Lukowitz. Did I say that right? I say it different every single time. Dan Lukowitz, he's in Detroit. He is a commercial real estate broker where he basically helps people buy and sell commercial real estate. And so he gives us a really great look into the inner workings of not only how to buy and sell commercial real estate, because the more you know about something that you are investing in, the more likelihood you have of choosing a great investment. I think one of the things that holds us back from doing these types of investments is fear because maybe we don't know enough or because other people know more than we do. But the joy of passive investing and the beauty of passive investing is that we get to place our capital with people who know more about a topic than we do because we can't be an expert in everything. And I like to allocate my time and my knowledge to really specialize in one thing. And then I like to put some money into other people's deals passively. So Dan, dives deep into the world of commercial brokering, into triple net leasing. It's one of the most passive ways to own real estate because the person who is renting the building takes care of everything, even the property taxes and the maintenance. It's one of those conversations I wish that could have just kept going on because he is just a wealth of knowledge and he's invited all of us to reach out to him after the show to talk more about commercial real estate, especially if you have a building that you are looking to sell or a building that you're looking to buy. He could really walk you through that process. I first met Dan when he was on LinkedIn and he has quite a presence there where he does a lot of his marketing and where he meets a lot of the, his clients. He invited me to be on his podcast a couple of years ago to talk about my commercial real estate journey. And I love when we're able to dive deep and go the other direction and ask him all the tough questions. So we got into his personal life a little bit about balancing being a high octane entrepreneur and a family man who has almost as many children as I do. So thanks for listening in today. You are definitely going to learn something from this presentation with Dan, not only about commercial real estate, but also just how to balance an active lifestyle, how to balance a demanding career with a personal life and setting goals for how to transition from that career into early retirement, where we're living more on our passive income, a process that Dan's currently working on himself and a process that I know that all of you can relate to. Hey, Dan Lukowitz, Lukowitz. Oh my goodness. I asked you like 30 seconds ago how to pronounce your last name and it comes out wrong every time. (laughs) Dan Lukowitz from Detroit, Michigan is here with us today. Thank you for being here, Dan. Commercial broker, agent, and investor. I think I was on your podcast like what, two years ago, something like that? Yes, probably been about two years. Yeah, Dan on top. So be sure you go and uh, check out uh, Dan's podcast. So let's just jump right into it, Dan. How about you give us a quick intro of yourself and tell us uh, a little bit about what you are working on and where you're headed. Sure. Yeah. So my name is Dan Lukowitz. I'm a net lease investment sales broker, which means that I broker commercial transactions that primarily consist of uh, either single tenant net lease properties uh, like Starbucks, uh, Chick-fil-A, uh, CVS, uh, Dollar General, et cetera, uh, or shopping centers, uh, medical office buildings, things like that. I've been in the industry for a while, do a good amount of business, and I've been involved in real estate in one fashion or another for about 15 years. Nice. All right. So I want to hear a little bit more about your backstory because I know that we've met, we've talked several times, but I've never really been able to hear most of your side of the story. Why don't you give our listener a little bit of a a background on like why you do what you do and like what makes you Dan? Yeah. Okay. That's a great question. My backstory is that like everybody or like most people, I guess I 
was in college trying to kind of figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And at the time, I was very interested in sales and marketing and psychology and learning and all that stuff. And as I was winding up my college years back in 2005, which makes me almost 40 years old today, which is kind of crazy. I, not today. Almost. Not quite, but. <laughs> yeah, not quite. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay 39 for as long as I can. I just... At any rate, I, back in 2005, I started a business with some friends called Disability Made Easy, which is a barrier-free home modification company. Essentially, the purpose of the business is to uh, modify homes to make them handicap accessible for individuals who have terminal illness or injury. And throughout my time with the company, I just remember, I'll never forget the first time I went to a, a property with one of our project managers and I looked at it and I said, how is this going to work? Like this old house doesn't even like, there's no way someone in a wheelchair can get around in it. It's like totally functionally obsolete. Then I watched the project manager sit there with a pen and paper and just sketch out a whole new front elevation. And from that moment on, I just kind of had this light bulb go off. It's like, wow, I could take something, add some value, you know, make it suit its purpose and turn it into something different. And not too long thereafter, when it was time for me to buy my first home, I had the opportunity to buy a house that was completely ready to go, move in ready, and I was ready to sign on the contract. Then I got word that there was a, a bank. This is during the you know the last market crash. There was a bank that, that owned a bunch of property on a specific street. There was one property that was like totally in terrible condition. Every single surface needed to be redone. And I was like, boom, this one's for me. Yeah. So I contacted the lender. I bought the property. I got in there with some contractors and every day I was there just like watching them, learning from them and eventually turned this house into something that was, was beautiful. Before I was finished with that home, I bought another house and another house and another house. And probably, you know, at this point, I've probably done 75 or 80 of these flips where I would just buy something that was functionally obsolete or, you know, distressed or whatever it is. And then, you know, add that value and, and flip it. And, and that became something that I really enjoyed. So all the while I was doing this, I, I always had a job, you know, a regular job. I was a, I led a sales team for a title insurance agency, you know, learning about the title side of the real estate business. I did some fundraising. I ended up working for Amazon as a business development executive. And then eventually I left Amazon and I went full-time into house flipping. This was back in 2016. So gosh, almost eight years ago and uh, really enjoyed my experience with that. But as I was doing that, I, I kind of recognized that it was it was what I would call adult daycare. It was a very, very, you know, energy intensive business, yeah. a lot of risk yeah. and a lot of capital that I needed to, to flip so many houses at once. So I, I somehow find my, found my way into a boutique, you know, net lease investment sales brokerage. And I realized that there was this whole other world of real estate that was hands off from to a certain extent mm -hmm. it being, you know, the brokerage side of things. And I got heavy into net lease brokerage, and that's really where I've stayed ever since. That's where I'll be. I broker a lot of deals. You know, last year I sold almost $100 million of net lease properties. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've just really found my niche here and I've enjoyed myself in terms of like what makes Dan Dan. I mean, I would say like perfect example last night, came home from an event, 10 o'clock at night, opened my emails, saw that one of the attorneys for my client had, you know, sent a contract back over to the purchaser's attorney and like almost nothing in the purchase agreement mirrored the terms that I negotiated with the buyer and the LOI. So I just sat there. I said, this is not my job. I could just sit back and relax, but this is in the best interest of the client and the transaction for me to get involved. And I wrote a very nice, respectful email line by line going, you know, pointing out each clause and what needed to be changed. And that's me, you know, I, I'm committed to transactions. I'm committed to my clients, I'm committed to excellence. And I love what I do. I absolutely love commercial real estate. And, you know, I, it's funny because I'm self-employed. I run my own business. And in a sense, I, it is like what you and I were talking before. It is a, another job. 
But for me, it's not a job because at 10 o'clock, that's what I wanted to be doing mm-hmm. because I love it so much. Yeah, that's, I think that that is the key to not feeling like you're working. I, I have six kids and I homeschool them. And we spend a lot of time talking about the value of work is not work. It, the value of work is not just getting some work done. You're not out there working because it's some sort of a character trait. We don't just work for work's sake. We find something that we really love, that we're really passionate about, and then we want to do it. It can't be difficult if we are so excited about it or we love it so much or we feel like we're adding so much value to both our own lives and other people's lives. It just feels like what you want to be doing. Do you have to find some balance sometimes between that and your personal life where you love what you're doing, you love what you're working. I mean, I get a lot of identity out of my business and a lot of social satisfaction out of my of relationships with my colleagues, but it's definitely a balancing act with the large family. So how do you find that you're able to take doing what you love and also have some boundaries to make sure that you're spending time with um, things on more on the personal side? It's very difficult. I mean, I'll be the first to, to, you know, recognize I live very close to a lake that I grew up on mm-hmm. and my office is very close to that lake. And I go there, you know, this time of year, I'm there three, four times a week. And mm-hmm. I often find myself at the beach on my phone, you know, uh, working on contracts <laughs> or communicating. So, you know, for me, I also, you know, I, have, I also, I have five kids and for me, I think that's, you know, that's what it is. My four older children spend time here in Michigan and also in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So the nice thing is, is that I get as much as it's a di- it's difficult mm-hmm. for us, I get that when they're here, they're here. And it, it allows me to kind of just be like, you know what? I've worked my tail off the rest of the year. They're here this weekend or they're here this summer. Mm-hmm. Or they're here this winter break or whatever it is. I'm going to focus on them. So that definitely helps for me. And then, you know, I just, I find that there's got to be times. I try really hard not to look at my phone, you know, between let's say 10, 10 o'clock and when I go to bed, mm-hmm. just because it's going to get my mind going. Yeah. <laughs> You know, which is obviously a lot of people in this industry, we have that type of mm-hmm. it's a blessing and a curse, but we have that kind of mind. But I find too, same thing, you know, going out with my wife, I try to, to limit or totally cut out any phone usage and just, you know, focus on the experience, focus on what I'm doing. And that's why it's also, it's important for me to take those long vacation, long weekend vacations or to, you know, I go to Arizona a few times a year, spend a lot of the winter there and just to be able to get out and hike and do things mm-hmm. where there is no cell reception and just force myself to have that space away, even though it's so hard. And it's almost like, it's almost like I don't want to stop and I don't want to step away from what I do. But mm-hmm. once I do that, I'm able to see it with a, a clearer perspective. That's a good point. Sometimes when we have to force ourselves to create those boundaries, we can come back refreshed and be doing a better job. But I've also found something really effective for me. And I'm sure you've discovered this as a father of many is the value of double duty. So I'll have my kids out at the lake or something and I'm playing with them, but I know I have a call at a certain time and I know which spot at this lake has good reception. So I'll go over there and take the call and get done what I need to get done while my kids are playing. And then I can kind of go back to interacting with them at the lake. And so the double duty has been fantastic. Like we'd hike and take mountains, take calls at the top of a mountain or now my husband, since he's left the W2, he works with me. And so I, we're almost able to get alone time or even cheap date night just by talking about business. So have you been able to incorporate your personal life into your business life and be able to do double duty and involve your kids in what you're doing and, and using that as a learning opportunity? Yeah, great question. So, you know, just an example, one of my daughters came in for the weekend. There's a, we just had the Dream Cruise, which mm-hmm. is a, a massive auto event. I'm, I love cars so much yeah. growing up here in the Mortar City. So she came to spend the weekend with us, which was really nice. 
And on Friday, I made an appointment for us to go to this like creative art studio and book some time on the wheel to do, you know, to do pottery together. Mm -hmm. My daughters love, they love, they're very artistic, which, which is interesting because I, my life, I almost never engage my artistic side ever. But when I'm with them, I love it. I love making pottery and painting things and all that stuff. So that just really brings out that part of me that I doesn't get to, to be engaged most of the time. So I told my daughter, I said, hey, listen, I've got one call. I'm ex expecting one call today. It's about you know such and such deal. And I'm going to spend the day with you. And I did. I spent the whole day with her. And it was just us. But you know, when that call came in, we were together and she listened. And then we, you know, we talk about it afterwards. And you know, my daughters, when they were now my oldest is 14, but when I think she was like nine or 10 and my other daughter was like, it was like seven or eight, they were at my office, you know, and I would just give them drone photos of buildings and they would use publisher or Photoshop to superimpose all the different retailers on there. So he's just getting them involved, you know, and, yeah. and talking to them and making them part of the process. And like, I'll give you another great example. You know, my daughter ran a camp. My older daughter ran a camp. My younger daughter was here. My younger daughter I just opened her up, you know, an investment account. Mm -hmm. She's 10. She's, I'm sorry. She is, how old is, 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 is she? She's 11. She, I just opened her up an investment account. My older daughter already has, has had one for years. And my older daughter is running a camp. She made like over a thousand dollars doing this camp. So she called me and she said, Hey, I've got $680. I want to invest. I'm like, all right, that's great. My other daughter came over. She's like, Hey, I have $200. Here's a hundred dollars to invest. So we're able to like do things like investing together which is helpful and it's fun. And it's like, I just, I love it. Cause I know that like the fact that I didn't have to ask my daughter, like she did this camp and she made a thousand dollars for a 14 year old. Yeah. It's like way too much money. Right. Yeah. She's fine with the 300 or 400 that she kept. Yep. But the fact that she wanted to invest it is awesome. You know, and, and when she turns 20 or 20, whatever it is, she's going to have something there. So that that's part of it for me is just to involve them in the process in my job. And then also like just explaining situations and they often will ask me questions hey can you explain like i don't understand something like why would this tenant do this or why would the shopping center owner do that and we get to have that that bonding experience which is is very special I, that is that's something that my kids i notice they're a little bit older than yours who are like mom oh stop talking about investing and so <laughs> but i i feel like they know that this is a thing when i was their age i kind of knew that passive income was out there because i'd heard of people who were retired or we'd make jokes like i'm gonna make a million dollars and live off the dividends so we knew words like that but i didn't really know anybody doing it but now my kids are surrounded by people doing it because they're part of my network and they know it's a thing. And I think that that's the biggest tool that we can give them is to say like, this is what's possible. And then they can right. start thinking about what they're going to do as adults and have years to kind of chew on that and those early experiences and watching you work, you know, bring your kid to work day. Absolutely. Yeah. No doubt about it. Well, I want to ask about if you can look back into your past and identify a pivotal moment in in your journey it's something you said kind of reminded me of something when i was about your age and i decided to go back to college and i had an associate's degree and my program offered me this smoking deal if i would test drive their online program and so i decided i was going to go back and get my bachelor's degree and my husband was kind of giving me a little bit of a hard time about it he's like you're running a successful business i was a real estate and wedding photographer at the time and he said if you just scaled that you could make what i'm making and you don't even need a degree for that. I don't understand why you're taking on this extra level of stress. And I said, well, it's so inexpensive. I would be kind of stupid to give up this opportunity. And But I was really struggling with it because I had my youngest was only two at the time. And I had a bunch of kids. And it was just a really difficult experience. But 
about a week after school started, I got a phone call that my brother was in a terrible cycling accident and oh, no. he was quadriplegic. And so what you said about retrofitting houses and turning something that's not working into something that's working, that was a really powerful, obviously powerful experience for me, even more powerful for him because he was the one living it. But I just remember turning around and getting off the phone. It was like 1130 at night. And my husband here, he hears me like sobbing. And he says, he's like, what is going on? What's going on? And I told him and I said, this right here, this is why I'm going back to school. This is why I need to be able to do something that replaces your income. If you don't get a life insurance payout, like this is real life and this stuff happens to real people. And it completely changed my mindset in school. And instead of like taking one class at a time, like I was planning on doing, I just bit the bullet and just got it taken care of. And I think that experience, and then my husband was laid off right after I graduated. And then I really got to put my money where my mouth was and to say like, can I actually replace his income? Can I protect our family from a layoff? Can I protect our family from the loss of his income? And that was a huge turning point uh, in my life. And so tell me a story about something where you kind of had to take a step back and reevaluate who you are and why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, that's happened so many times, definitely the stepping back and reevaluating who I am and why I'm doing what I'm doing. The one that comes to mind for sure is when I was working for Amazon, you know, I was flipping houses on the side, but I like, I wasn't 100% in it. And then I fully left. And I remember I, I was just, I was in the shower actually, and I was thinking to myself, I was like, how many houses would I need in the city of Detroit? Keep in mind, especially back then, you could buy houses that were very cheap a in buck, Detroit. A buck and a half. <laughs> but, right, exactly. That's for the block. Yeah. But but I said, how many houses do I need to replace my income? And I, I did the math and I thought it was around 20. Mm -hmm. So I went out and I bought 20 houses and I raised some capital. I ended up flipping most of them. But that was actually the last moment that I was ever employed by you know, a regular conventional employer. So we're going almost eight years now. And it just kind of hit me that, you know, my financial destiny is in my hands. And especially as a broker, I mean, I worked for Amazon and I wasn't working in a fulfillment center. I was working in an office. Like I had a, a, a corporate level job that was, you know, by most people's assessment, a very, very, very good job with, you know, good benefits and good money and all that. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, I by far eclipsed that doing what I do now. And I have way more freedom. I don't have to answer to anybody. I don't have to deal with all that craziness that I dealt with. So I think for me, you know, and I'm not employable, like let's be honest, like I'm not employable as a W2 employee ever again. I'm not. And that it so ruins I've been us. doing this for almost what's that? It entrepreneurship and investing and, and financial freedom, it kind of ruins us for the W2. Exactly. I've been doing this now for about eight years. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, 20% of my life and a much larger percentage of my working life. But you know, I think that moment is like, I'm never going back. I'm never going back to that. I'm never going mm -hmm. back to like, you know, where I have to answer to somebody or have to do something I don't want to do, or I have to, you know, listen, this morning I showed up at 11 o'clock. That's just the bottom line. I don't do that every day, mm -hmm. but if I feel like I need it for my mental health, that's what I need. You know what I'm saying? I mean, even with this, I, I, I had to eat lunch because I had two podcasts before this yeah. and I, I texted you asking if I could have five minutes. I have that freedom. So I think for me, it, it, it it's just, it was a matter of realizing that, mm -hmm. you know, it's all in my hand. And I've had that moment, you know, I had that moment earlier this year. I'm going to be honest with you. End of last year, early this year with everything that was going on, I was just like, how am I going to do this? Like, you know, how am I going to, how am I going to like continue the level of success I've had? And I just decided, hey, it's in my hands. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on today 
I mean, I know what activities are necessary to be successful because I've been successful. Just it's just a matter of doing them, and then and I never look back, and boom, you know, here I am. Things are going great. I'm, I'm this is the uh, I couldn't ask for a better year. So I think for me that's really it. It's just that recognition that that I have it all in my hands. The power to succeed or fail is is to a large extent, you know, inside of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a very similar experience when I calculated how many houses that we would need to replace our income. And I think it was like 30, between 30 and 50, something depending on how much we were cash flowing on each from day one. Like you're only getting 200 yeah. bucks a month from a house the day right. by because of expenses, reserves and things like that. I was like, man, 35 sure. of these things. Let's just go get an apartment building. So I think that was another pivotal moment for me where I, I got that number and I was like, I don't actually want to manage that many houses. And so we, we jumped lanes. Let's fast forward just a little bit to what you're working on today. Tell me about what a typical day looks like for you and what drives you to get through that day? What drives you to do what you're doing right now? Yeah. Uh, so a big portion of my day is, you know, escrow management. So it's deals that I've, I guess I would say I have offers on, or they're going under contract, or they're under contract, or I'm working with title, or I'm working through due diligence, mm-hmm. or I'm working with the lender, or I'm getting to closing. It's just the minutia that I'm responsible for, because I'm responsible for every single aspect of the transaction. Mm-hmm. And for my deals, I probably, I double end, meaning I represent the seller and the buyer in probably 85 or 90% of my deals. So I'm the one, like I have to make sure that everything is going on. And I, I prefer that because it's just easier to communicate with this person and this person with, with one less person in between. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons. I mean, I like it for other reasons too, but you know, I think that escrow management, especially right now, I've got five deals under contract. So that takes up a, a you know a good chunk of my day. And it, it's not like I'm always budgeting for it. Sometimes it comes in yeah. as it comes in and it's confusing, you know, like, get an email from title and you're like, wait, which transaction is that? So I have to really be focused on making sure that those deals get through as smooth as possible. Mm -hmm. That's what people don't realize is the broker is the one that's behind the scenes juggling everything. It's like, you see the car moving, right? But you don't realize that there's, you know, there's like a camshaft that's off balance and the broker's in there fixing it. And you know, there's a cylinder that, that that throws a rod or something like that, or there's a problem with it, you know, this or that. So that's what I'm constantly doing. That's a big part of it. And then, you know, I constantly doing business development making cold calls, following up with people, doing proposals, sending people broker opinions of values, pitching, you know, pitching, you know, for listings to keep that pipeline going. I'm creating content for LinkedIn. I try to post five times a week. Mm So, you know, writing articles, making videos, being on podcasts. I mean, today I, I spent probably two and a half hours on three different podcasts. So, you know, that's definitely a big part of it. And then I like to check in with some of my colleagues I don't really, I don't do any of this water cooler sports talk stuff. It's just not something I'm interested in, but I'll sit down for 15 minutes and go over deals and, Hey, by the way, this happened today. And what do you think? How would you have handled that? And anything I can help you out with, that's a chunk of my day. Sometimes that's a larger chunk than others. And yeah, I mean, that's pretty much, I would say like that sums up most of my days. So very detail oriented, hustling, definitely. And I think that any business owner can really relate to what you're saying. But can you tell me more about how your sources of passive income have changed your perspective on your business and your income needs? Because I run a private equity fund now and somebody asked me the other day, like, well, if you're retired on passive income, why are you still working? I thought that's a really good question. I'm working partially because I want to work and I I have this message that I want to share with investors. Hey, you can design your own lifestyle. There are these things out there that you didn't even know about. I didn't know about them and almost a little angry that I didn't learn about it younger. But also I think that I don't need 
I don't need the private equity fund income to eat. Like we can keep the lights on and we can keep our lifestyle. It's not lavish, but we can keep it all on with passive income. And it's completely changed my attitude towards my business. So how does that impact you and the way that you approach what you're doing in your business? Yeah. So first of all, full disclosure, I mean, I'm nowhere near that position. The vast majority of the income for my family's lifestyle, which is a lot of people, mm -hmm. it comes from me working actively as a commercial real estate mm -hmm. broker. I have had in the past single family real estate rentals. Again, during the, those times, it was nice to have that income. It wasn't enough to step back and do nothing. And it's not as- Yeah, that's also true. Where I'm at now is I'm working on commercial development deals and retenanting, repurposing deals. I'm looking forward to having that passive income. And that's really something that I'm, I'm setting up. I don't see myself, even if I wanted to, I hate to say this, but even if I wanted to, I don't see myself being in a position to stop what I'm doing. I do live a, a relatively large lifestyle, mm -hmm. all things considered. And that, that requires me to, to continue doing what I'm doing. But I've definitely thought about it. What if something happened? What if I wasn't able to work? What if whatever, there'd be a lot of people that were in trouble, honestly, there'd mm -hmm. be, a, I've got a lot of people that depend on me. So yeah. from my perspective, I'm really looking forward to that time when I'll have enough passive income from commercial real estate to be able to have that peace of mind. But it's a goal I'm working towards, definitely not a place that I'm at today. But I think the difference between you and the average business owner is that you know it's a thing, you've done it, and you have clients who are doing it, you're working on it. Right. I, I talk to a lot of business owners who reach out to me as potential passive investors because they didn't even know that passive investing was a real thing. It's a kind of a scammy word and the term gets co-opted a lot of times by making it sound like, oh, retire to a beach in Mexico in five minutes on $10. And so they're mm -hmm. burned out and they're lost, especially if their business has been shrinking for some reason and they had to lay off some staff and they have two, three, four streams of income from maybe this business, that business, and another business they're running. And I said, how many passive streams of income do you have? And they're like, zero. And they realize, oh, I can replace it. Maybe not all of my income, but a big chunk of my income. So that if something happens, then I'm not just panicking that, that moment where you get that phone call, there's an accident, there's a tragedy, or just, I'm so burned out. And I, I just don't think I can keep doing this. You don't burn out as quickly when you know you have alternatives and backup plans. And so your background and experience with your clients and your own personal, that's got to change kind of the way that you're looking at the way you work. Most entrepreneurs are like, if I want more money, I'll just go make more money. And investors are like, if I want more money, I'll go invest more money. So where do you fall along that spectrum? I definitely, I've been blessed to see the like work harder, make more money thing work in brokerage. Cause like the thing, if you're like, if you're a good commercial real estate broker and you can make X, mm -hmm. if you just turn it up a notch, you can make five X. Yeah. So I've seen that. And, and it's a, it's, I don't even know how to say this. Like, I never knew it was possible to make this much money aside from being some type of like specialized surgeon or something like oh. that, but it is, it's totally within reach for people. Mm -hmm. So I guess for me, yeah, I don't, especially at this age, I don't think, cause I consider myself old now. Yeah. I don't see myself like, yeah, let me just turn it up forever. No, I'm looking for these commercial real estate development deals mm -hmm. so that I can have passive income so that I can retire. And I have that same... I share that same frustration of like, why shouldn't I be there already? Like I should have done, I should have started this when I was 20 or 25 or 30, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And gotten there, but I have specific goals and, and, and I have a lifestyle and vision that does not involve me being a full-time commercial real estate broker. Yeah. I remember I graduated from college, I think a couple of days before I turned 40 and my husband was laid off three months later. And so we started our journey right before I turned 41. I really just started getting into it. And the last five years have been 
just a game changer, a life changer. Like our lives are dramatically different now than they were five years ago, even two years ago. And so feeling like wow. I wanted to start earlier, I needed to start earlier. I definitely feel that way. And I put a lot of I don't want to say pressure, but encouragement on my kids. Like you're so young. The fact that you know, this is a thing. My son says to me the other day, he's broke. He's absolutely broke, unemployed, struggling to find a place to live. And he texted me the other day and I said, I really just want to find a house that I can buy with a buddy and that we can house hack. And I'm like, what other broke 20 year old says those kinds of things? Because he knows it's out there. He knows it's a thing. So even though I wish I had started sooner, it can be rapid once we get our heads wrapped around it and once we start getting our money to work for us. And the more money you have to start with, obviously, the faster it goes. So I, sure. I like your perspective from a high income earner because that's a lot of our investors are high income earners and they'll do something like a, a business exit or sell a home and they've got this pile of cash and they're like, I've either never made this much money in my life or I've never had this pile of cash all at one time and learning how to care for that is a burden. It's a great problem to have, but it's a burden. And it gets some kind of thinking about that. And usually about our age, somewhere between 39 and 49, people are like, I'm not going to last forever. My body's starting to betray right. me. So you're, you're, it sounds like you're in between on that spectrum where you've done it. What's a thing and you're starting to plan ahead, but you have a lot of working life left in you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And a passion for entrepreneurship, which I think I had, and I'm starting to lose it the older I get. <laughs> becoming more of an investor and less of an entrepreneur over time. Okay. So I want to go back to something you said earlier where you're probably doing things very similarly. That's a hard word to say similarly to other way other commercial brokers are doing things, but maybe they're struggling a little bit more. So can you give us like the 20% of what you're doing that sets you apart from the average broker that's giving you maybe 80% of your success? Yeah, definitely. So number one, the way that my business, it's a simple business. It's really databasing, cold calling, mm -hmm. proposals, follow-up, listings, closings, yeah. right? That's really it. Now, I don't care about any of that except closings. Okay. I really don't. So if you look at like the top, how do I say this? If you look at the first part of that whole continuum, the top guys at my firm, we've got about 40 agents here. They're doing like 250 to 500 calls a week. Mm -hmm. I, I, they're not the, a lot of these guys are only closing a few deals a year. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many calls I do a week. I'm not, I don't keep track of them, but it's nowhere. It's not, it's nowhere near that. It's not, but and by the way, did I say, I meant, I think I said 250 to 500 calls. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. Per week. Per week. Mm -hmm. Good. Yes. So anyway, my point is that I don't, I, I really work with clients who are ready to sell. I'm not out there talking to tons and tons of people and doing tons and tons of proposals and then getting listings. Mm -hmm. I'm out there talking to select people who I think are real sellers and I'm working with them to get listings and then get them sold. Mm -hmm. I have a very high conversion rate from going from a proposal to a listing and almost all my listings sell. So I think I do that differently than other agents. And then one thing additionally that I definitely do differently than other agents is that the cold call is a one-to-one. -one. It's me picking up the phone. It's you answering it's that dialogue. I'm reaching one person at mm -hmm. a time. I will make a four minute video updating people about the status, the state of the market and throw it on LinkedIn, get 15,000 views and five people reaching out to me mm -hmm. who want to sell their property. That's a difference. Okay. So I do the one to many. And I think that's something I put a lot of time and energy and years into building a following on LinkedIn mm -hmm. and, it, and it is valuable to me. So that's another thing that I do differently. And then I just think I don't, I don't let 
I don't let things hit the ground. Okay. So like when a purchase agreement comes across my desk, I don't just like let it hit the ground. I don't let it sit there and get stale. I grab it right when it comes across my desk. I go through it. I do what has to be done, get it to the proper place. And then it goes there. And if it should take a, two days to get done after one day, I'm reaching out saying, where's my purchase agreement? So I'm on top of everything. Like, I don't want to say I micromanaging is the wrong word. Mm -hmm. I'm just an active manager. I'm actively managing every step of the process and I handle my escrows. It's like, I'm juggling eggs. Like I'm juggling these things, but they're eggs and I don't want them to break. Mm -hmm. So I think that I have just a different mentality and my listings is the same thing. When I get a property listed, I'm putting on LinkedIn, I'm blasting and I'm getting on the sites. I'm Everybody who's reaching out, I'm calling back. There's just a lot of activity there. So I think that that's really what attributes to my success. Because like, if you would just put a counter on my phone, you'd be like, this guy is like not going to do well. But when everything is put together, that's how I set myself you know, apart from the crowd. And then I think also I, I build relationships. Look, my clients are my friends. Many of, most of them I never meet, but we have that relationship that we care about each other. I was just about to ask about the relationships because I find that a lot of successful entrepreneurs talk a lot about delegating, but I know a lot of entrepreneurs that over delegate and they are living the passive income lifestyle where they're still actively running a business and they take their foot off the gas or their hands off the steering wheel or whatever car analogy you want to use. And I'm finding that the quality of service and their attention to detail starts slipping when they delegate too much. And so finding that balance between delegating enough that you can take care of details and get done what you need to, but not so much that you lose sight of that because the relationship for me has suffered with the vendors and, and people that I work with when they start delegating too much and I spend more time talking to their assistant or their leasing agent than I spend talking to that person. And I feel like maybe it's time to make a little shift. You're enjoying the delegation a little bit too much. So how are you striking that ability to have a relationship while you're managing so many details and not over delegating? You know, I tried a couple of years ago to delegate and hire this assistant and that assistant mm-hmm. and this junior broker and that junior broker. and Like I did really well that year. And then I just was like, this is like, it was so hard because I was, I felt like I had created this new job of managing people. So I ended up like really streamlining and getting, getting honestly, like just, I I kept one junior broker and no assistance. And I was just like, I'm just going to do it myself for a while. If I want to hire it out, I hire it out. And I did just as well that year, but I had a certain like peace of mind. So I found that, I don't know, for better or worse, I don't know how I would overcome this if I ever needed to, but I'm not the best at managing people. Mm. I'm just not. I'm really good at managing what needs to be managed within my business. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to managing other people, I'm not the best at it. So I'm at a point where I could continue doing what I'm doing and everything would be just fine. I have spent a lot of time thinking about potentially implementing some systems that would require hiring other people. And, And I don't know. I mean, I might try it out for a short amount of time, but For me, I've just found that there's definitely no one is going to replace me Mm -hmm. in talking to my clients. Like, it's just not going to happen. They don't want to hear from anybody else. They want to hear from me. True. And when it, same thing when it comes to selling my deals, like no one's going to sell my deal like I am. No one knows my deals like I know my deals. I don't know. I, I struggle to believe that I can find a way to delegate or optimize and make the situation better than it is. I had an experience many years ago when I was a contract photographer and the, I guess it was an office manager who had equity in the company. And he was very, very frustrated because some of the quality of work that was coming through was 
giving a lot of time on the back end. Let's just say that way. They were spending a lot of time fixing errors that were coming in from the contractors. And I think he was just venting to me a little bit about, we just need this and we need that. And we had, they set up systems and all of these things that they tell you to do in the e-myth and, and all of that. And I finally said, I said, you're asking the contractors to care as much about the business as you do. And we will never care about the business as much as you do. Right. At best, you're going to get 80%. So just take the 80% that we're offering and you got to pick up the slack. And he just stopped and said, huh, okay. All right. All right. Like kind of retooling his head to be like, I can only expect about 80% from the people that we hire and he's got to pick up the other and only delegating out the stuff that isn't as important. They are taking care of the most fragile eggs and not delegating that out. It sounds like you've really hit a good balance with that because you recognize you're, you don't want to manage people or you're not the best at managing people. And frankly, IT solutions are cheaper anyway. Your systems where you can hire a, a subscription service or something to handle something for you is probably more time and cost effective than having a person in anyway. Have you found that to be the case? Like what types of services are you referring to? Well, let's say that you want an assistant to go and research something for you, but instead you're just going to pay for some sort of a database where you can just type it in yourself and the research pops right up. Or a transaction management system where all, you have more of a CRM where your customers are coming up in there rather than having an assistant go out and find that stuff for you. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely, I've had a CRM for like five years and it's great. It's, you know, cost me a hundred bucks a month, yeah. but it does things I couldn't do. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's, there are definitely a more efficient ways to, to do things like we, I mean, we have a specific person that will put together like packages for us mm -hmm. and a couple guys and myself use them together. And, you know, honestly, it's nice, but like a lot of times I end up like, kind of like what you alluded to, you know, I give him the information, he puts together a package and then I have to, you know, redo half of it. So yeah. Yeah, but at is least, it really worth it? Yeah, you're starting at 50% instead of 0%, but exactly but kind that's of true. understanding is like, okay, they're going to give you 50 80% of what you need, and then you go in and take care right. of the most important 20%. And like I said, it's cheaper. Like my monthly subscription services that I pay for to help me manage my business uh, are way cheaper than hiring a, a human. So we do have some humans, obviously, but at the same time, I'm going to look for an IT solution first because I just think it's, it's more time and cost effective yeah. than training someone and and just the unrealistic expectations that we have for the people that are working for us, because I know I was not serving that business like an equity owner at the time I was contracting for them. Right. So, because you weren't. Uh, yeah. You're like, you want to give me some equity? You might see a little bit different. And I don't think he was necessarily mad at just me that day, but it was my project right. that came across that had kind of fallen short. And he was just complaining. So this is going across the board. I'm like, either your system's bad or your expectations are bad. Which one is it? It's your fault. Uh, like, you're the business owner. He's like, yeah, it's totally my fault. So... <laughs> But yeah, I think that I could sit and talk about business all day long, business systems and, and all of that. And so let's shift gears for the final time to looking into your future. Dan on top, I love I love how you call yourself that because I feel, I feel like you're on top of so many moving parts and you're just on top of your career and your world right now. But bring us into the future a little bit for what you see coming up for you in the next maybe five to 10 years, stuff that you've been wanting to do that you have not done yet or that you can't do yet, or things that you're wondering about, like, what am I going to do? And the thought process you're going through to see what's in the future for you. Yeah. So I'm working right now on, on a system to essentially like create another wing that is essentially just doing business development for me to, for example, like target specific types of property owners and then have conversations and then get me on the phone when they're interested. So mm -hmm. it kind of cuts out that first couple stages that I described, the ones that I don't really put a lot of, you know, numbers behind. 
So that that would be an example of just delegating it out, um, which I think will be smart. I have to definitely do that. I am working on a book about net lease. There there really isn't uh, anything out there, and you know True. I've been on I've been on probably three hundred podcasts, yeah. and almost always I get asked the question of like, what great net lease book do you recommend? And I can't. I mean, <laughs> Alan Fruitman has a great book about. 1031 exchange. It's not really about just net lease. Mm -hmm. And that's great, but there's nothing else. So I, I definitely, that's a big thing. And then I would like to do more of these retail repositioning deals and start assembling a portfolio of net lease commercial assets. That's definitely important for me. And then really to have some kind of, really, I'd love to have some kind of exit in the next five to 10 years so that I can do what I want. Cause you know, ultimately I want that freedom. You know, I want that, that Dodge Viper and that boat and, you know, I want to be able to just go where I want and do what I want. And it's just a matter of, of putting things in place to mm -hmm. ensure that that happens. Yeah. I often talk about that. It's like, I don't want to retire, but I just want to have more control over how I spend my time and the work that yeah. I do and the work that I'm valuing. You're not the kind of person who is, is who's going to end up you know, retired on a beach somewhere. You live big and you play big. And so I think that it's really important that kind of thinking ahead to that, be like, how can I play bigger? Because there's no in your future, unless it's like for a week or two, just to recharge and, and get back on it. So I don't we'll know. We'll see. I can get used to it. Do you, I mean, we went to a beach one time when my husband uh, was on a scuba diving trip. I don't scuba dive. So he and my daughter were out scuba diving and I just tagged along. So I was by myself most of the day sitting on a beach in Cozumel for a week and I was so bored. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, okay, this helps me rethink what retirement is going to look like. Cause 10 minutes into it, I was like, okay, what do I do next? So I don't know. Tell me if you agree. Does that, do you relate to that at all? Or. <laughs> I mean, I love the beach. I feel like I could go every day, maybe not just the beach, mm -hmm. but for me, I feel like putting in four or five hours of getting the deals done and then going and sitting on the beach for three, four hours, going on the boat, relaxing. Yeah. That that's retirement. Yes. I, and I could see someone, I always say I want to work part-time, but make a full-time income. And so, yes, I definitely see doing a few hours here and there, being able to take it remote. Like we were talking about double duty before your kids, you're out on the lake and yeah. you're doing, taking care of business, but it's just not a constant, constant toll. Just being able to cut back, not cut out, I think is what I'm working yeah. towards. So it sounds like that might be in your future too. Can you tell our listener, our investor, what type of person do you want to talk to? What type of person, who would be your ideal contact after the program releases? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, anybody who wants to talk commercial real estate, I'd love to talk to you. I think ideally I'm looking for investors, property owners who either A, want to know what their property is worth or B, want to sell their property. Mm -hmm. That would be by far the most ideal. But even, you know, outside of that, you know, anybody who wants to learn more about commercial real estate and net lease specifically, you know, if you have a deal and you want another set of eyes on it, even if it's not our deal, but if it's your deal, you're looking at somewhere else, I'm happy to help. And really anybody that, that feels like I can add value, you know, I like to take time out of my day when people call to get to know them and help them and, you know, add value wherever I can. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good point because educating us and our investor listener on how net lease deals are working and what it looks like when somebody running an active business to help commercial real estate run more smoothly, especially if you're out there and you own something, I get calls from people who inherit buildings and they don't know 
how to run them or what to do with them. And you're looking for somebody who can kind of help you in that situation. That comes up more often than you might think. I bought some of them and I've helped people just direct them towards, maybe this should go up for sale. So if you fit into that category, you have a building that you're looking to sell, or you're just wanting to get more into the passive income lifestyle yourself. Maybe you have a business, commercial real estate business that you're running and you're looking to start divesting some properties, reach out. That's why we do these shows. We want to build a relationship with you and we want to network. It's about teaching, about learning, but it's more about interacting. So be sure to reach out to Dan after the show. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah. So first of all, you can find me on LinkedIn. My first name is Dan. Last name is Lukowitz, L-E-W-K-O-W-I-C-Z. Again, that's L-E-W-K-O-W-I-C-Z. Uh, I'll also give out my cell phone number. You can call me directly. It's 248-943-2838. Again, 248-943-2838. And if there's anything I can do to add value, it would definitely be my pleasure to connect. Yeah, I'm looking forward to your book because I feel like as somebody wanting to be a little bit more passive in the real estate space, getting into the net lease side of things as an active owner is one of the most passive ways that you can own real estate yeah. directly. But it's also been helping me because I know more about it and I can invest in other people's projects and understand a little bit more about what I'm investing in. So do you have, I don't know if you want to put this out there, but do you have a tentative timeline for when your book's going to be ready? I don't. I'm in the, the initial stages. I don't, but I would. I, my, my hope is within the next 12 to 18 months. And I'm sure you're going to tell us about it on LinkedIn. That's where I, I keep up with all news, Dan. Be sure to let us yep. know. I'm looking forward to it because like I said, it's something that a lot of people hear about and they don't know much about it. And there aren't really great resources out there. You're right. Right. We're like, hey, I want to buy something or I want to invest in something that is a triple net lease. Super, super passive. So let us know when your book is out and uh, be sure to reach out to Dan after the show. And thank you so much for your interview and for diving a little deeper on the personal side of things with us today. My pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us today, investor. I learned a lot from Dan. I learned a lot from his LinkedIn posts. I learned a lot from his podcast guest appearances from his podcast. And like I said at the beginning, I could have just talked to him for hours and hours about all the ins and outs of commercial real estate because I like to geek out on that stuff, but it also helps me to learn more about something that I want to invest in myself. So like we always say, please reach out to us after the show. If you'd like to learn more about investing with us and start that relationship so that we can get to work together, building your passive income so that you can take more adventures, please find me at risecapitalinvestments.co. My website at highrise.group is still there. If you would like to book me to be on one of your podcasts, you can do that there through the contact form or at risecapitalinvestments.co. You can click on schedule a call and uh, jump on a call with me or someone on my team to talk more about your passive investing and the way that you can build more financial freedom in your life. Uh, so until next time, I am so excited to hear more about your passive income adventure.